0: Welcome to Pursuit Church Mornington Podcast with Pastor Brian Carden. The message you are about to hear will help you build your faith in Christ and grow in the knowledge of His will. Let's go right into the message. In this part of Nehemiah, we are seeing an end to what started out as a huge task. It was... Not just done by one person, though. It was done by a multitude of people. Anything that God calls his church to do does not just take an individual, but it takes a body. Notice his church is not just about you. It's about the body. Nehemiah, when he set out to do God's will, notice that he set out to do God's will, not his own will. And this is a good understanding for us when it comes to vision, that vision is not something that you think about, something that you created through a strategic plan. Vision does not come from a years-long time of just thinking through all the processes and procedures and systems to create something that would profit you and benefit you. No, when it comes to godly vision, it comes through the prophetic voice of God It comes directly from the infinite God to a person, and ultimately from that person for the body. Notice that God's vision did not come to everyone. It came to one man, but it was for everyone. And I think the church and sometimes ourselves find this difficult because we think it should come through me But the reality is that's not how God does it. God has gifts and callings that he places on every person and they are all different from one another. We all have different functions from one another. We do not all function the same way. And that is good. Can I get an amen? If your desire for something is because of status, because of position, because of self-desire, you want to be seen a particular way, you want to be heard, then you are already starting on a dangerous track that will ultimately lead to your destruction because that comes from a place of pride. Godly vision does not come from, oh, I think I can do this. Let's think of a plan. Godly vision does not come from a way of making more money, a way of having greater status. No, God's vision comes from when you get to a place spiritually where you are undone. It comes to when you get to a place where you've had enough of the direction that you may be going in, or the direction that the world may be going in, or a direction that a country may be going in. See, he waits, he tarries for that right person, for that right body of people, that remnant, which we heard in prior weeks. How come God did not rebuild the walls before Nehemiah? Never thought about it. Was there nobody else? What took so long? We know it was over 146 years. Why? Was there no one as full of faith as Nehemiah? Was there no one as good as Nehemiah? What if it wasn't about any of those things, but what God and His sovereignty and His goodness and who He is chose Nehemiah to do? What does that mean for us today? What if there's things that God calls us and chooses us to do that's only for us and us alone? In this understanding of that, let's think in the context of church. Why do we have Pursuit Church here on the Mornington Peninsula? Why are we here? You know, we have mission statements, we have values, we have Vision, and many times these things are overlooked because every business, secular organization, school, company has very similar things, don't they? And we just create something. It's easy now. You can just type it in, in chat, GBT, give me a mission statement, and type in three words, and you'll get a, a great mission statement. Again, what if it's more than that? What if it's God ordained? What if it's God put us here on this very specific region on the map to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world, to live a life that influences the region that we're in? What if you're here right now to... Walk in the grace and the anointing of this house because there is an anointing and a grace that God flows through his house to the people of God. You can do more when you're connected to his body than when you're not connected to the body. You will have greater influence. You will see greater success. Now, success and influence is not what the world sees. And that's the problem with the modern-day church is we see it in a way where success is identified by the amount of people or the amount of dollars. But let me help you. That is not the way God sees success. The way God levels success is by a body that is growing in unity and in love towards Him. By a body that is Getting people born again, set free, and changed. I ask you again, like I asked you at the beginning of this year. How many people have gotten born again today through you? We have allowed salvation or preaching the gospel or witnessing or testifying or just telling people of Jesus to be a huge issue when it's not. The only reason it's a huge issue is because Satan knows that when a preacher speaks, people will hear. So if he can cause a preacher to not preach, people cannot hear. See, God's vision for us is so that we will take it, run with it, and preach it and proclaim it to everyone around us out there. You see now in Nehemiah chapter 10 where... They turned their heart to God. They got back in the law or the word, which is the first five books for them at that time. For us, we had the Holy Bible. They worshiped. They prayed. And because of that, now they're going to make a covenant with God. For many years, they have not been in covenant with God. And now they're going to make a vow to walk in obedience with him. And this happened because of being in the word and in worship and in prayer for such a long time. God's vision for Pursuit Church is this. You want to know it? Simple. Helping people believe in Jesus. How do people believe in Jesus? We preach. Everything that we do as a church is preaching. Preaching. Today, maybe you didn't know, but let me help you. You're a preacher. You're a preacher. Now, I know that we have used that word interchangeably with pastor, with church leadership. No, but what the Bible says is that we are all a witness. We are all preachers of the gospel, ministers of reconciliation to the world. And that all looks different for us in our context of life. You may be a preacher on the job. You may be a preacher to your family. In all reality, we're preachers on the job. We're preachers to our family. We're preachers to our friends. We're preachers everywhere we go. If a church does not preach, how do they expect to have any effect within the region they're in? It is not up to the pastor to preach. No, the pastor is here for one reason. You want to know what that is? To equip you for the work of the ministry. But it has turned in a lot of ways to where the pastor is the one that brings the people in. We We do relatable things. We relate to the world. We entertain the world to bring them in. The moment you start entertaining people, you'll have to keep up doing that for the rest of your ministry. If the gospel is not good enough, we have an issue. And you say, well, you don't understand. There's a world out there that doesn't see it that way. I do understand. Are you telling me that the spirit of God, that the the intelligence, the smartness, our God is not smart enough to know that? That he did not put enough power on the earth that will flow through you when you preach and you speak about him? Why do we think we have to reinvent this? Our message is more important than method. Methods change and go. They they, they change, they come and go. But the message must stay the same. And if we compromise our message because of methods, we are leading to a place ultimately where it would become about man's vision and not God's vision. And one of the things that God has called this church to do is to never get into a place where we think we can do it, where we think it is us and our intellect and our gifts and talents that bring people in. No. It is our love and worship and ultimately our sacrifice to God where he will bring the increase. God is the one that increases his church. Not a personality, not a worship team, not an album, not a way or a style. And we as Christians, for some reason, have allowed that to get within us. We choose church based on personality. We choose church based on what is seen. Do they have A young adult, do they have a youth? Do they have a singles ministry? Do they have an elders ministry? If they don't, then that's not the church for me because I want to find a place where I can find community. I want to find a place where I can hang out and build friendship. Let me help you. The core to our life as Christians is not community. It's sacrifice to God. I do not want a small group where it's just a bunch of surface-level conversation and nothing ever goes deep. And the reality is, we have to make sure that our desires and wants do not get in the way of his desires and his wants. I'm not saying you can't have a small group. Don't hear me in that way. I'm talking about vision, I'm talking about motive, and I'm ultimately talking about surrendering unto God everything. This is why Nehemiah was able to rally up people because, again, going back to Nehemiah 2, they saw that he heard from God. That's what caused people to rally up together. It wasn't that Nehemiah had this good, strategic, awesome, well-made-out plan. Now, let me help you. He did because he did the right work, and he worked diligently and in a spirit of excellence to God. Let me help you. You still have to have that. You can't just be given a word from God and just say, well, it's going to happen. It's just going to work. No, you got to work the ground. Let me help you because some people think, well, if God gives you words, it's going to happen. No, it won't. No, you're going to have to work your brains out. It, there is a cost. Let me help you. Does your marriage cost something? Yeah, it works. It's work, isn't it? Can I get an amen? Raising up kids, is that a work? Oh, yeah. It ain't easy. Why do we think church is going to be any different? Why do you think your relationship with God will be any different? It won't. It's work. There going to be ups downs, left, right, high moments, low moments. It's part of it. See, I think sometimes people of faith, we think, well, we're not going to go through anything, that we're immune to all things. No, because you are people of faith, you will go through a lot. Your faith will be tested. You will learn how to stand and be secure in Jesus in moments of suffering, in moments of pain, in moments of attack. See, fulfilling God's vision is costly, and that's the title of the message. Fulfilling God's vision is costly. It's going to cost you everything. In the past two years, one of the things I've understood about vision and fulfilling God's will and purpose for my own life is my character has to change. It hasn't been easy for the past two years because... When you go on a path of wanting to honor God and walk in reverence of God, you notice that there's things within you that have to change in order for you to go into the next place that God has for you. And let me help you, for anyone in this house today, the reason why you probably have not made it to that place where God wants you to be in in the next season of your life is because of your character. It's because of the decisions you are making still. It's because of the cycle that you are staying in. But if you will allow yourself to get into a place of saying, God, I want to grow, I want to commit, I want to be found faithful, I will do what is necessary, I will give up what I have to give up, I will make a decision to go into what you want me to go into. I will diligently, through discipleship, through love, because ultimately what is obedience to God? Love. It's love. It's love. I will count the cost. I'm going to read three verses out of Nehemiah, 9 and 10, chapter, 9, verse, chapter 9 and chapter 10. And then I'm going to go into Luke. But let me read Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. You guys okay? Okay. Verse 38 says this. Verse, or because of all this... We make a firm covenant, or we make a solemn promise, putting it in writing, this version or translation ESV says, we make a firm covenant, say covenant, in writing, and the sealed documents are the name of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. So, we're to a point... Now we're in chapter 10. So verse 38 out of chapter 9 said this is what's going to take place. We, through the revival, through the Spirit of God coming upon the people, we are back in a place of unity, back in a place where we are observing His law, where we are walking in obedience. Now we're just going to go a step further and make covenant with you. We're going to make a covenant of saying if we don't do this, well, there's a curse on us. And if we do do this, then there's a blessing upon us. And it's the same thing that God did with Moses and the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And it's the same way what we have today, where we make a covenant with God through Jesus' blood. Now, the good thing, though, you're redeemed from the curse. There's only blessing. Come on. The Bible says you're redeemed from the curse of the law. I'll notice this in verse t- chapter 10, verse 28. I'm not going to read all of it, but verse 28. You see all the names. If you read Nehemiah 10, you'll see a whole bunch of names. Of princes, of Levites, and priests. Now we're at 28. It says, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding. So, at first, it was only about 82 people, and now it's everybody that has knowledge and understanding are making a vow, are making a covenant with God. And We're going to go through what that covenant looks like. Verse 39 says, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister, and the gatekeepers, and the singers. In the last part of this, We will not neglect, this is verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. Look at that, Nehemiah 10, 39. Go ahead and put it on the screen. So the last verse. That's 29, 39. It's all good. We will not neglect the house of our God. Look at your neighbor. Say, I will not neglect. The house of God. You hear this. The word neglect means forsake. Ignore. These men and women made a vow, a covenant before God saying, we have experienced your love. We have experienced the answer of faith. Because what does that mean? Well, it was faith to build the walls and now the walls are done. See, faith has action. And what happens when you see the finished work of your faith? Oh, it brings you to a place of praise. It brings you to a place of rejoicing. See, what if right now you're just in a place of faith, meaning you are wrestling or contending for the faith? And what if this fight that you're on, because it's a fight. Oh, it's a fight right now. It's fighting your personality. It's fighting your character. It's fighting your weaknesses, your strengths. It's taking everything that you have in order to stay afloat, in order to stay in faith towards God. How many of you feel like that right now? Nobody? Some of you do? Look, let me help you. If you don't feel like that right now, then I would have a a tough conversation with you later, but I'll say right now, are you even a threat to the enemy right now then? Because if you're a threat to the enemy, that means that the faith that you have is believing for things, is believing for God to do something in your life despite what you're going through. And when you have faith like that, you're going to feel the attack of the enemy. You're going to feel the pressure, the hardship, and the things of life coming against you. That's how you know you're following after God. Because look at every single person in the Bible that fulfilled God's vision. They went through a lot. And if you say, my life's secure, it's comfortable, then I would ask, are you really walking in faith right now then? You say, does it always have to be that way? No, because you can ha- have a lot of stuff going on, but be completely secure and safe and rest in him. I'm going through things, but I'm resting. Nehemiah went through a lot. He had three men, S- to Tobiah, and Geshem try to kill him, try to lie against him. Try to even go to the king. But because of Nehemiah's wisdom and because of faith and vision that was in him, he wasn't gonna stop. He wasn't gonna allow it to deter him for what God's called him to do. Today, it may be within yourself. Where you are not following God's vision and will and purpose for your life. It may be a lack of character, it may be a lack of growth. It may be people that you're around, that you're hanging around, that are limiting you and hindering you from being able to grow and do what God's called you to do. It may be the job that you have, it may be the time that you spend living your life. It could be anything. And again, vision costs something. Vision's gonna cost you your life, vision's gonna cost you your thoughts. This is going to cost you how you have a habit of living every day. What is the habit of your life today? If you're saying, I'm constantly experiencing hell. I'm constantly experiencing hardship. I'm constantly experiencing these things. I got no joy. I got no life. I'm anxious. I'm worried. I'm doubtful. I'm fearful. Then my question to you would be, do you spend time with God? Nehemiah couldn't do what God called him to do without spending time in his presence. It's going to cost you more than a 20-minute prayer. It's going to cost you more than a five-minute devotion that you read on YouVersion Bible app. It's going to cost you more than listening to a a podcast or a YouTube video. It might cost you fasting and praying for 21 days. It might cost you going away from the house and going to the beach and praying for a few hours. It's going to cost you everything. Are you willing to go the distance? Are we as a church willing to do what God has called us to do? Are we? Or do we just want another two-hour service? We can go to any church in the world and do that. You don't even have to go to church. You can stay at home on your lounge, turn on some live stream, and you can have church. But that ain't church, honey. Let me tell you, all that's doing is just giving you a motivational speaking that ain't no functioning, that's no working, that's not even giving or contributing or partnering with God's word. All you're doing there is just getting a whole bunch of information, getting spiritually fat, but never using it, never applying it in your life. It ain't about just getting self-help. Go read a book. Let me help you. You don't need self-help. You need the Holy Ghost. You need the fire of God within you, and you need to let it burn from the inside out. You can't live this life like the world. I feel that strong in my heart right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You can't live life like the world. How do you expect to serve God when you want to live like the world? And maybe that's the reason why you ain't experiencing God. Maybe that's the reason why you haven't walked into the fullness of God. You're still trying to live like the old you. You're dead to it. So stop. The old you would have beat up somebody. The old you would have cussed them out. The old you would have thought pervertedly. The old you would have thought how worthless and and, uh, just how you could achieve and fulfill what God called you to do or achieve anything in life. Might as well just go in a hole, go in a room and shut the doors, turn the lights off and just be depressed and moan and cry and just say, God, take me now. No, that's the devil and that's a lie. And if he can hinder you and cause you to think that way, he's won. Because there's people all around you that need the gospel. There's people all around you that need the vision that God's given us. The vision is not just for me. The vision is not just for even you. It's for the region. We talked about harvest this whole year. Harvest. And you may say, well, I don't really see the effects of harvest in our church. My question would be to you, what have you done this year? Rather than complain about it, what have you put your hand to? If you got on the back of the plow, started plowing, what have you done this year? It's easy to criticize something. That's all Sam Ballard to buy and guessing did. They criticized it. I can just imagine. You know, because Nehemiah obviously records it, but just think about it in real life, being there. I guarantee you, they would have been a hassle. Do you ever feel like you're just doing what God's called you to do, and there's someone that's constantly criticizing it? constantly saying something, and they know how to say the right words that just tick you off, right? Excellent. And you know you got to walk in love and walk in the right spirit. You got to walk and take a high road. You got to have integrity in your heart and just have godly character. It ain't easy, is it? But it's necessary. Because it's love. You don't get a right just to chew people out because they do you wrong. You don't get a right to have ill thoughts towards your brother in Christ just because they said something wrong or you, they did something you didn't like. No, you got to walk in love. That's the only right you have is a love walk. That's the only right you have in your marriage. It's a love walk. It's love. That's the only right you have towards your children, towards your family, It's love. I didn't say you have to be ran over and just be taken advantage of. There's wisdom. But if you do it from a place of an offense, you do it from a place of, I'm going to vindicate myself. I'm going to, get revenge, be careful. Be very careful. Go to Luke. It's costly. Notice what Jesus says. Actually, real quick. Again, you don't have to go there, though, but you can go to Luke 14, verse 25. But I want to say something. They did not neglect the house of God. So a covenant with God showed that they were not going to neglect God's house. The covenant itself had seven, we'll call it a mission statement, where this united family, united Jerusalem, come together, and they made a statement of seven things they were going to do. And you'll find this all in Nehemiah 10, but I'm going to give you a summary of them. The first thing is this. They're going to obey Scripture They're going to walk in obedience to God's law. And this is the same what we do. We walk in obedience to God's word. Number two, they're going to lead their families well. They're going to lead their families. Let me help you. If you're a man in this house today, lead your family well. And how do you lead them well? You lead them under the guidance and the direction of God. Number three, it says we will worship our God. God is the only one that deserves your worship, nothing else. Within this covenant that we have with Jesus, we know that we worship him and nothing else. He gets our worship. He deserves our worship. Number four, we will give generously. They said, we're going to have a generous heart. They went back to the understanding of the first fruits of the tithe, and they said, we're going to be generous. We're going to give to the temple, to the house of God. We're going to take care of our people. They were generous. Number five, they said, We will make church a priority. In the same way we know in Matthew 6, we make Jesus a priority. And how do you know you made Jesus a priority? You make his church a priority because his church is his or is what he has given for us. And some people don't even understand that. They think church is just something created by man. No, church was given by God. That's what he's given it for, it's for us. You want to know what is God's will and purpose? His church. His church. It's not about an organization or a name. No, it's about Him being the head. He can't be head over an individual. He's head over a body. You got the local church and the universal church. And thank God for the universal church, our brothers and sisters in Christ that are preaching the gospel all around the world and even in this region and on the peninsula. I'm talking about other churches. We don't have a competitive spirit in this house. No. We bless them. We pray for them. Number six, we will only marry believers. Now, let me help you because I already know some of you said, well, I didn't do that. Let me help you. There's grace and there's restoration and God can help you. And how many know that you probably got saved when you weren't a believer and God has greatly helped you? Amen? You may be still going through some things because of marrying an unbeliever. It's okay. God's going to help you. There's grace to strengthen you. So don't allow, sometimes we read the Bible and we make it, give us, we allow it to give us guilt and shame and feel unworthy and not good enough. Do not allow that. Just see the covenant that they made, and it's the same covenant that we will make with God. The Bible says do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. So today, if you are single, let me encourage you, don't marry an unbeliever. Don't even think about it. Don't date an unbeliever. You can't win them. It doesn't work that way. You will compromise everything. Now, I know you can use this. Well, other people have done it. I understand. But don't let that be your same story because I guarantee you when you talk to those people, it was a tough, hard road. So just to save you some time and some heartache, marry a God-fearing man or woman of God. That means it may take some time. Or it may not. You may find somebody. Allow God to work it out. You just pursue him. Seek him. Don't seek it out. Seek him out. And the last one, we will conduct business ethically. And you can see that within Nehemiah 10. They're going to conduct business ethically because they were buying and selling during the Sabbath and it was wrong. But they said we're no longer going to do that. We're going to do business ethically. And today, I don't know how you do business or how you live your life. Don't cut corners. You say, well, if I don't cut corners, I won't be able to get it the way it should be. No, all you do is you have faith and pray, and God will make a way where there seems no way, like there is no way. You don't have to cut corners. You don't have to be unethical. Come on. We're God's people, and we make right decisions, godly decisions. Because think about it, the decisions you make, say you're unethical in business, you're unethical within your life and things and decisions that you make. Well, that is a witness to people all around you. How can you be a witness to an unsaved person or an unbeliever when you're living and doing business unethically? Doing it ungodly, not doing it rightly. Don't be caught in those things. And if you are, get your heart right. And it may cost you some things. It may cost you some things. That's fine. But at least you're getting your heart right and walking in obedience towards God. Again, a covenant is what they walked into or what they created. It's a bond. It's a vow. A covenant will always cost something. And when you make a decision to be in covenant with Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost self life. It's going to cause you comfort. It's going to cause you ease. It's going to cause you even some of the passing pleasures of this world. Notice I said passing pleasures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pleasures for a moment, yeah. but they're passing. Mm-hmm. And we know that we are not living just for today, but we are eternal beings. One of the things that we see when it comes to the people in Jerusalem that made this covenant with God is to is a train of thought, but we may sometimes have this different train of thought. Let me read it this way. You may say today that I feel I should change. If the people within the city of Jerusalem said, I feel like we should build the walls, that doesn't build the walls. I feel like we should come together and do something. I feel like I should have a good marriage. I I feel like I should go out and preach the gospel. I feel like you can feel like that all you want, but there's a better way of thinking and it is this we will do something to change we will do something to build the walls we will do something to see this house have an effect on the region, We will do something. I will do something as a husband to make sure my marriage lasts. I will do something as a wife to make sure my marriage is strong. I will do something as a parent. I will do something to see change in my body. I will do something to see God's promises come to fruition in my life. I'll walk in obedience. I'll walk upright. I'll walk with the right heart in the place of love towards God. You see the difference. You can say, I feel like something should happen, or you say, I will make something happen. There's a lot of people saying, I feel like it, and those are 20 years, 30 years, probably their whole life. Well, I guess I missed it. I'm too old now. Yeah. Let me help you today. If you're older, if you're past 60, your life's not done yet. You're not. Hey <laughs> you're not done yet. I don't believe that. You know why I say that? Because I feel like we live in a time where, you know, you retired at certain, like around 65, 68, right, and you're done. Just go live your life. Look, the reality is, if you still got breath in your lungs, you can be a preacher of the Word of God. Amen. And that's okay. You can still cut your grass every day and chill and hang out in the lawn. But go to the shops and go get some people born again. You know, go to the cafe, grab your Bible, just open it up, and just, man, let, let people walk by like, hey, what are, you, what are you reading? A public covenant that they made meant this one thing, accountability. A public covenant means accountability. See, God, and we say it in another way of stewarding. We're accountable for how we steward this. I know, and I hope just as much as you know, that we're held accountable for how we live our lives. We know that every single one of us, just like the Bible says, we will go to the judgment seat of Christ. That is for every Christian. We will come to the judgment seat of Christ. And now, this isn't determining, let me help if you never study this out. We do teach this in doctrines, but judgment seat of Christ does not mean you go to heaven or hell. Okay? No, the judgment seat of Christ is for every believer. You're already going to heaven. It's based on how you live as a believer on the earth and what rewards you get or do not get. There's rewards that come from the way you live. There's a reward for someone that is martyred for their faith. There's a crown. The Bible talks of seven different crowns. So don't think of it as you're going to go to hell if you go to the judgment seat. That's not it. Now the judgment seat of Christ is for every believer and to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen? Come on, how many want to hear that? And you, don't, don't, don't make you think, oh, I made mistakes. I'm not going to hear that. No, that's not the truth. It's a lie. But it's accountability. They knew that making a public covenant with one another in front of their families, in front of their wives and their children to the whole world, it was accountable for how they were going to live. See, in the same way we have an accountability of the covenant we made with Jesus, And some people treat this covenant with Jesus like it's nothing. Like it's just, I'm a Christian, I'm going to heaven, that's it. I'm going to live my life any way I want to do. it. And I would ask even if you're saved then. Because being a Christian does not have a title or just, when you become a Christian doesn't mean you just become something. But you can live any way you want to. No, how do you know you've given your life to Christ? There's a transformation in your heart. You change. See, in the same way, what we see is they put God in the center again. He's the focus. The covenant was, was between the people of Jerusalem and God. And it's the same way today what we have with Jesus. He is our Lord. And see, when Jesus' lordship is lived out by his church or his people, there is no aspect of our life that remains unchanged and unaffected. Jesus, our Lord, the center of our life, the head of our life, the head of His church, every aspect of our life remains. Or every aspect of our life will change and will be affected. Everything. See, today as believers, we face the same kind of temptation to become tired, lukewarm, lethargic, and forsaking the corporate worship of God for business, for recreational opportunities. For family, for not enough time, for too much going on. Not giving generously to the cause of Jesus Christ and living lives that are not much different than anyone who does not know God. Again, I said, you face the same kind of temptation. But what we must do is make a decision I'm going all the way. I'm going all the way. Luke 14. I said I was going to get there, and now I'm here. And I'm going to finish this. Now, great crowds accompanied him. Verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Real side note hate does not mean what you think. Hate means allegiance to. Not literally mean, I hate my mom, I hate my dad, I hate everybody in order to love Christ. No, he's giving an understanding, an analogy of saying, you don't pledge allegiance to them before me. I get everything first. I am first. I have preeminence in your life. Yes. Okay? Just so everyone knows, because some people read that and say, oh, well, I'm supposed to hate my mom. I'm supposed to hate my dad. I got it right now. I can hate my wife for the sake of Christ. No. <laughs> okay? Whoever does not, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross, Notice he says his own, speaking of your own. He didn't say a cross or the cross, the cross of Jesus. Some people read this wrong. He's talking about your own cross. We all have a cross to bear, and it's different for every single one of us. Amen? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he talks about being a builder. He talks about being a soldier. And then in verse... 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. When I think about not neglecting the house of God, this is what they're doing. They're renouncing everything, forsaking everything to walk with him. This is what the people in Nehemiah's day did. They said, we're not going to neglect all that God Or we're not going to neglect all of what is God's. Thank you for listening to today. If you are wanting more of these timely messages and teachings, go to our website at Pursuit Church Mornington to find all the other ways you can access Pursuit Church ministry and messages.